We're going to Instagram live this for the first time in our entire life. We've lives. never done an Instagram live. <gasps> oh my God, of our interview? Yeah. yeah. This is so cool, guys. <laughs> I'm Nina. And I'm Liz. We don't have all the answers, but we do have a bottle of wine and some thoughts. If you're looking for honest musings on life, happiness, health, and wellness, you've come to the right place. We'll even throw in a couple off-the-wall jokes, some personal stories, and of course, some shenanigans. So grab a glass of wine and join the conversation. Hey guys, we are back for another episode with the podcast with our favorite and your favorite. You know, because we name drop her on literally every episode. I've been banned from saying her name. She's the Voldemort of the Wine and Shine podcast. Liz is not allowed to say the name Simi. (laughs) Well, Simi says, it's actually that Wine and Shine is changing to the Simi Says podcast. It's going to be called Simi Says. Um, it's so funny because we just love her so much. And she was on the podcast, an early episode and not lying when we say it's one of our top rated episodes listened to the most. And since she's been on, um, Liz has worked with her. We've both like, we've done an event with her Mm -hmm. and we were just so happy to have her back on to talk all about her new book, Letting Go of Leo which you guys will hear a little bit more about in a few seconds. Yeah. So today we're really talking about, you know, her previous episode focused a lot on intuitive eating and certainly her book still touches on those elements, but there's a lot, there's a much broader topic of perfectionism that we discuss. We talk a lot about black and white thinking Mm -hmm. and how that can get us into trouble. Yeah. I think a lot of us even sometimes subconsciously just live run by our fears. And we don't realize that the decisions we're making are all based around those worries. Anyway, guys, we are not going to keep gabbing in your ear because we want you to listen to this episode with Simi Bodich. Okay, first of all, I just have to tell you, and I think we've said it before, but your episode is legitimately the highest listened episode. Of all time. Out of all of the episodes on the podcast. Like it's that top, it's so top rated. I know it's, and it means so much because people obviously really resonate with your message. And yeah, we're all from Columbus. I feel like we know a lot of the same people. And so it's just so wonderful to have you on the podcast for a second time. I'm so excited to be back with you guys. And I just, I love you both so much. And I feel like it's been so wonderful. Obviously like the first interview was so fun and I loved getting yeah. to come on, but it's been such a, it's been such a treat to get to know you guys like as friends since then. And so I was like, even I was that much more excited about this interview just because I'm like, yeah, awesome interview. Also hanging out with my friends. So that's great too. (laughs) Yeah, that is true because we weren't really friends yet. No, because that was the first time we had even talked. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I mean a little bit Instagram, right? Yeah, exactly. And then obviously we knew we had some mutual friends at that time, but it was, we were just like, okay, this is the first time, like, let's have Simeon. And it was what? It was episode, it was early, like I beginning. Like 13 maybe. Yeah. Beginning of the podcast. Now we're Lucky all Lucky number seasoned. 13. Lucky number <laughs> 13. Yeah. And since that episode, you and Liz have worked together. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you've written a book, which I've read twice now. I've only read oh, it once because I'm a slow you guys, reader. Thank you. You're welcome. It's still on my coffee table, actually. Just going to live there. Yeah, we, like, What a great place for it to live. Like, I can't think of a better place for it to live than there. Yeah, the coffee table has all... I have like a shelf full of books and my coffee table is full of books. I like slowly have created a library in my tiny apartment. 
Ah, I love, how are you liking apartment living? I actually love it because we went from the three floor townhome and now Mm -hmm. we're in a one bedroom. I mean, and it's small. Like Liz has been in Mm -hmm. it. I give people the tour in two seconds. Like you walk in the living room, you can go into the bedroom, to the closet, through the bathroom, and you're out in the living room again. It's like a little square. And I'm kind of like loving the minimalist thing. I feel like I just have what I need. And also the location is primo. So I'm totally digging being able to walk to like North Star or to any of the bars up there, mainly the coffee shops. Because I like don't do bars anymore, (laughs) to be honest. Clearly we know how that goes when I try and drink. (laughs) But yeah, no, it's going good. Liz, you've been in yours for a while. Obviously, I love all the same places Simi does because we live like a few blocks from each other. We're totally neighbors. And honestly, don't you feel like we really must have done something to this area? Because since we've moved here, some pretty amazing things have popped up. Yes. Like Fox in the Snow is there now. (laughs) There's um, a native. Is native there now? Yep. 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 And I don't know if you've been to that South Village Grill yet. That's right there. But it's really yep. good. I ate there on, um, well, I I walked in to get takeout on Valentine's Day, but I've technically <laughs> been inside to pick up my takeout order. Was nice. that your Valentine's Day dinner? Yes, the um, the surf and turf. Ooh, it was classy. So good. You guys are like, we're not going out on Valentine's Day. We're, we're just bringing gonna, it in. <laughs> go get it and bring it back. And well, Tim was traveling that whole, Tim was traveling that whole week for, um, for work. He was in London for Mm -hmm. work. And so my mom came over and we were like, all right, we have Osh. What can we do? So we got fancy takeout and, and ate it at home with Osh. And Osh was like a huge fan of lobster. I'm like, of course, this would be like your new favorite food. I taste I know, right? I'm like, you're never eating this again. So don't get used to it. (laughs) Oh, and I also love that this whole time I was imagining you being like you, Tim and Osh, but it was actually your mom. And that makes the story even better. Yes. And it's kind of a joke with, um, it's kind of a joke with Tim and I that he cannot surprise me. Like anything he tries to do to surprise me, I somehow find out. And he was obviously gone for Valentine's day and had tried to order me flowers, but, Mm -hmm. um, our credit card flagged the order because he made it it from abroad. Like (laughs) he, yeah, exactly. So they flagged the order and they called me and like, Hey, we just shut down your credit card. There's like this charge from Books. Like, I don't know what this oh is. God. So then I had to call Tim in London. And I was like, hey, did you order something from Books? And he's like, are you kidding me? Uh-huh. Like, I can't even order you flowers without you finding out. And it was this whole to-do where they like had to then like open up our credit card again. And it was, we were laughing so hard. Did you ever get the flowers? I did, yep. I got okay, the good. flowers. Like, so yeah. <laughs> that story reminds me of a story in your book, which, you know, I won't give it away in case people haven't read the book, but he definitely surprised you at your proposal. That's true. So, that was the, the one and only <laughs> surprise. And like the biggest surprise of, of all, you would think if you catch on, most girls, I feel like kind of know if it's going to happen. Like you, like Cody planned a trip, you know, when guys plan trips or something, yes. you're like, mm, okay, I think this is going to happen now. But the way you wrote it, wrote about it in your book, it was very obvious that you had no idea and it was right. going to happen. Yes. I was in total shock in the, in the moment of the proposal. And I actually had thought there were times before our actual proposal where I thought he was going to propose and he didn't. And so then I w- had this idea in my head that like he was never going to propose. So mm-hmm. I think he waited, he waited long enough that it like totally threw me off. <laughs> he, this whole time you're like, it's just not happening. <laughs> totally. Out of the blue, there it was. There he was. Exactly. I still laugh because I think that like... Simi and Tim are in a 
parallel universe to me and Zach. Yeah. Like he can't surprise me with anything. He's never surprised me ever. Zach hasn't? No, except my proposal. And that was it. Oh, no way. Like we were, um, we stayed with my uncle over Valentine's Day. We went down to the Gulf Coast of Mississippi because I have family down there. And it's, I mean, there's like a beach and stuff. It's really pretty. And he had planned like, he found like a wine and paint thing and he had planned dinner. And I knew he was proposing to you then, by the way. I you also knew Cody's yeah I did but over Valentine's Day like my we were talking to my uncle we were getting ready to go somewhere and he's like oh yeah you know and for your paint night blah 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 and I just started cracking up because I was like Zach had one he almost pulled off a Valentine's Day surprise like I almost didn't know what was happening on Valentine's Day and my uncle felt so bad you could just see he was like oh no, because Zach had told him, like, it's His a face, surprise. His like, face was white. Yeah. I was like, oh, it's fine. But Zach's like, damn it. I knew. I can't ever surprise you. That's hilarious. When I got engaged, um, Liz texted Cody, like, while we were there. Did I? Yeah. And you said something like, did you do it yet? and so and his phone was on the bed. Does he know that? Yes, because he took it really quick and, like, covered it. And I was like, what was that? He's like, oh, Liz just texted me. Which is weird. Yeah. And then, but in the back of my head, I kind of thought it was going to happen. But he waited until the last day. And I was like, okay, maybe I got this all wrong. Like, maybe he was just planning a nice trip. It wasn't the last day, but it was like, not the beginning of the trip. Um, so I was like, partly surprised, but, hmm, you know, not completely. I don't know how we got on this topic. Yeah, I don't know either. <laughs> and I also just realized... I, I think a lot of people know who you are. And it's also funny because we name drop you a ton throughout the podcast. But for our listeners that are like, oh, well, who's Simi? Who's this girl they're talking to right now? Would you mind giving them a little bit of background on who you are and what you do and all of that lovely stuff? Sure, absolutely. My name's Simi and I am a health coach and I specifically work with women who are struggling with perfection, struggling with feeling like they're not enough or they're falling short to really help them um, to heal their relationship with food and body image and learn how to eat and live intuitively and ultimately to really fall in love with what I like to think of as like their beautifully imperfect lives. Mm. I love that. And we're both part of beautifully imperfect. We are. It's probably, (gasps) it's one of the best Facebook groups I've ever been a part of. Like, it's really... Oh, my god. Yours and Sam Vanderweelens are like my jam. Yeah. I love Sam so much. Yeah. Yeah, who also has been on the podcast. Yeah. She needs to She needs to make a second yeah. appearance, too. Um, no, I'm interested in... So, obviously, your book, Letting Go of Leo, which we've kind of talked a little bit about, and we'll try not to talk too much about, though. There are, like, a million funny stories in I there know. that make well, How much so can much. we no, you guys say? Feel, no, you can say as much as you want. It's okay. Totally. Okay. I don't want you to feel... I don't want you to feel censored at all. Free speech. Okay. okay. Um, so in there, you know, you talk a lot about, I've noticed kind of, I don't want to say a shift, but I know you've done a lot of intuitive eating work. Like that's been your main focus. And it's kind of through letting go of Leo evolved into this more, this broader perfectionism battle kind of talk, that, that type of thing. How have you, was that a conscious decision to go a little broader? Like what made you say, okay, I'm going to write a book and it's not going to be all about 100% food. It's Mm going to have these other elements of perfectionism tendencies in there too. Yeah, I think it was, I would say like 50% organic and 50% intentional. Really, it was over having my business for a couple of years. 
and also really getting intimate with my own story. It's not like I sit around thinking about my my own stories, you know, all day long, <laughs> like every day or anything, you know, like things happen there in the past. I really hadn't revisited a lot of the stories that I wrote about in the book until I really sat down to write it. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a mix of sitting down to really reflect on my own journey and what it actually meant and what, what it was truly about. And also reflecting on years and hundreds of clients and what I was really at the core, at the root of like the work I was doing with women, like what was that at the root and what Mm. was the root of my own personal story. And so I think what's been really beautiful about this whole process is 2017 for me was really a year of a lot of behind the scenes stuff. And a lot of the work that I was doing was on this book. So I wasn't sharing it with anyone. Like I was, I was working a lot, but in a very private way. Mm-hmm. And it was a lot of, you know, going inward, a lot of reflecting, a lot of really getting clear on what I, what I wanted this book to mean and what I really wanted my story to be about. And also like in, in letting go of Leo, I share a lot of my, you know, personal struggles with food and body image, which mm-hmm. at their core, I believe were about feeling like I needed to be perfect, to be loved and enough. And these were just yeah. certain ways that I tried to manipulate and control myself and my life to make me more quote unquote perfect. Mm-hmm. And I think that people can struggle with their relationship with food for any number of reasons. But what I've discovered is that the women who are drawn to me and the women who I connect with and the women who I work with um, have a similar underlying struggle that I had. Mm -hmm. And so through writing those stories and putting this book out, it was kind of, it, it really, for me, represents two big things. One of the things was sort of putting out this really detailed, um, story and I don't know, like basically a manifesto about my relationship with food and in a way being able to close that door because here it is and it's out there and this is everything and there's not much more to say about it. You know, like I can, in a way it felt like a really beautiful close to a chapter of my life that I've been moved on from for a long time now, but have, you know, talked about a lot. And so that was really special for me to get to say, like, I've said everything they're really is to say here about my own story and I can close this door and open a new door. And then like the other thing that this really represents for me is this revelation of what, what was deeper than that and how it really wasn't about food or body at all, like this whole time. And it really isn't about food or body image with any of my clients either. Like it's about this other thing. And this book really gave me the freedom to pivot in that way And the ability to articulate like what it is that I'm really passionate about helping women do, which is letting go of perfection Mm -hmm. and really falling in love with their lives. And this book, I feel like articulates how food and body image fits into that story, but also shows that it's not the whole story. Right. Yeah. And when you started writing the book, so I know Liz kind of asked this earlier, it was like 50, 50 intentional and then sort of organically happened. But as you were writing the book, did you start to realize more and more? You're like, holy crap, like this is all about my struggles with perfection. Or were you kind of knowing that going in? Did it seem like writing the stories pulled that out more for you? Or how did that work? 
Yeah, I mean, that that theme definitely revealed itself to me um, as I was writing. So the book um, today, like as it's published, is different than, um, than what I originally intended the book to be mm-hmm. originally. I had this idea for a book that was going to be called Stop Freaking the F Out. And it was going to be much more of like a traditional, um, what I would consider self-help book. It was going to have 10 chapters. There was going to be like a lesson for each chapter, basically 10 things that helped me stop freaking the F out Mm -hmm. um, in my life. And obviously a big part of a, a lot of my freakouts were around food and body image. And it was going to be written much more like that. And I wrote about 100 pages of that book and just didn't feel like it was really my voice or Mm -hmm. true to who I am or true to the way that I talk to women or the way that I connect with women. And so I threw it out and went the storytelling route because I, for me personally, I feel like a big way that I connect with women is through sharing stories, sharing my own stories and giving them space to share their stories with me and just really creating a safe opportunity to open up and be real about what's happened and not only not only to share the stories that have shaped our past but also to talk about the new stories that we want to write and yeah. this transition in the book it happened because i was like how can i how can i write this book about basically you know like being true to yourself i'm not even being true to myself in the way that i'm writing it oh it's mm. so true yeah it's such a good realization yeah. So it evolved the, even the way the book, you know, ended up being um, evolved and definitely like the underlying message evolved. And I mean, the title was the last thing that we picked, like mm. up until, up until, you know, it went to the publisher, like we were playing around with the title, like up until the very last week of edits. And yeah. I have an amazing editor, uh, Jessica Turpin Dawson. We've been friends since kindergarten and she's like incredible. And and knows me so well. And it was really important to have people who, who knew me really well, like working on this project with me. And so working with her as an editor was awesome. But we basically had the working title of Stop Freaking the F Out until the last week when we were like, this title isn't, it, it doesn't like do the book justice. And so she was like, what about letting go of Leo? She came up with the title. Oh. And then we played around with like a subtitle and really wanted to get across the perfectionist message. So it was, I mean, pick, like picking the title and having her, having her be such a part of that was, was one of the coolest parts of, of the process. It was really special. Everybody that worked on your book, sorry, Liz, I'm just going to say- We do this thing where we gasp at the same time. Um, <laughs> no, I was just going to say, uh, I know Allie did the cover art. So like how much time did she have to create that beautiful cover art? <laughs> if it was like a week yeah. out. I figured like she had all the time in the world to make this. She did such a great job. The whole book process was pretty fast. Like I started writing it in, um, in I think February of 2017 and it was turned in, it was fully edited and turned into the, into the publisher. Um, I think early December, something like that. Gosh, I don't even know. I can't even like concept. The concept of writing a book to me is just overwhelming. It was you, any, anybody, anybody can write a book. I'll just say that right now. It's like writing a book is something that's like on your heart or something that you desire to do. You can absolutely do it. I agree that it's, it's like very overwhelming. It was a big undertaking. It's probably one of the most challenging things that I personally have ever done. Mm -hmm. But I, for me, working with people who knew me really well, um, made the process a lot easier and made me feel super supported. Like 
Allie knows me so well. And we are, we're not only good friends, but like we've worked together professionally Mm -hmm. since I, since before I had my business, like when I just had a blog. So she's been, you know, designing stuff with me in mind for years and years. And so she sent me like three cover design options and I didn't even have, like, I instantly looked at that one. I was like, yep, this is it. And I had no feedback or anything. I was like, it's perfect. It can go to print like just as it is, just like this. Like you nailed it. Done. Yes, because she just knows me so well. And my best friend, Joss, drew the um, drew the interior um, illustrations. I was going to say, and, I knew that yeah. too. Yeah, and that was so special. And obviously, Katie Dalebout, uh, one of my best friends wrote the wrote the forward, and that was incredible. So it it literally was completely created by people who I just love and That's adore, so cool. and who who know me so well. So it was a really it was a really special, cool project, and I I wouldn't change a thing about I wouldn't change a thing about it. I have to ask: Is Joss the one that ate M and M's? Oh my gosh. How did you connect those dots? She is. No way. I would never have thought that. I Wait, is that in the book? I realized yeah. that. Um, well, the M&M story is, story is but yeah. is the name in the book? I feel like. No. I don't know how. <laughs> it is. I figured that out actually before today and I don't know how I did it. You must have said something and I was like, I think that's, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's that's just, so funny. She's, um, it's, it's so funny. We've, I mean, been best friends since fifth grade and she's, I mean, she knew me basically through uh, every single story in that book and has loved me through a lot of those stories. And, um, yes, she was totally the one who, the one who ate the M&Ms and thank goodness was still my friend after that. <laughs> yeah. That is such a funny well, story. if you ever need someone else to eat your M&Ms, like I'll, I'll always eat chocolate. So, <laughs> Okay, I have a huge Costco-sized thing of M&M's in my freezer at all times. So come right. over anytime. We can eat M&M's After together. podcast party. <laughs> M&M's. I would love M&M's. that. M&M's and hanging out. I, I would love that. I absolutely loved the style of the book. And I, resoni- like, I resonated so much with the stories. And I think that's just because that's the type of books that I end up gravitating towards. I either read like self-help books, like about science-y, nutrition-y stuff, or I read biographies and yep. your book felt so homey, like a biography really, you know, cause you went through like the stages of your life and you telling stories, like even though I, for some reason, didn't have that many memories of food and body image for myself until I started reading the book. And then I was like, holy cow, like I am relating to so much of this. And it made me realize that I actually do struggle with food and body image as a way to cover up like my anxiety or my perfectionism. And I didn't even realize that until diving into your stories and then would text Liz and be like, I'm crying right now. I don't know why. Like I just would start crying reading a story. She'd also send me screenshots and be like, this is you. Yeah, this is you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I, Liz, I feel like we are so like kindred spirits. There's so much stuff like about our personalities that are the same, I feel. Yeah. <laughs> it's, also, well, the big thing, and I'd like to talk about this a little bit, is like this whole idea of black and white thinking. Yes. And I think in a Facebook Live that you had on your group recently, it was all centered on a fixed mindset and a growth mindset. Kind of yes. seemed very 
related, the two ideas. Yep. Um, and it's funny because your whole chapter, I actually showed it to Zach, who also read your book. Actually, one day he was sitting on my Thanks, couch. Zach. <laughs> <laughs> one day he was sitting on my couch with a pink fuzzy blanket reading Letting Aww. Go of Leo. <laughs> and he looks at me and he goes, I'm very comfortable in my sexuality because this is where we find ourselves right now. Um, I can imagine. It was like Kobe snuggled up next to him. They were just enjoying yeah, so a good book. Cute. But um, he has been saying what Tim says about the gray for, I kid you not, like a decade. He's been saying mm-hmm. that. And so he, you screenshotted that I did, paragraph and I it to, to me. And I was um, like, this is me and Zach. So <laughs> what, what do you see in people that exhibit that black and white mindset and how it kind of feeds into perfectionism because there are a lot of tendencies that I had that I didn't even know was that fixed mindset, growth mindset situation until I started diving more into black and white. Totally. So I think underlying it all is this idea that things have to be exactly a certain way or like everything's going to hell. You know, mm-hmm. it's like if things are not exactly like this, then it's it's failure. And this is why I will say a lot of times that I know that people who I know that people who struggle with black and white thinking think that this idea of things have to be this very specific way that they believe that that is like a high standard or the right mm-hmm. way or the perfect way that they they don't they're they do it because they think that that is like what's best and that's what's good they believe it's a high standard but really if we take a step back and look at it you know as separate from ourselves and not in an emotionally charged way we can see that it's actually a really limiting belief because mm-hmm. if things have to be exactly this way or everything is a mess and a disaster and a failure then you're really limiting your opportunities to experience success and joy, and you're definitely eliminating opportunities for growth. So the black and white thinking is is basically, you know, another way to say it is all or nothing thinking. It's either yeah. exactly this way or it's nothing. And I know for me personally, I've experienced this a lot in my relationship with food. The all, quote unquote, would be like diet rules, really specific ways of eating, specific times of eating, amounts of food, types of food, calories, whatever it might be, whatever it might be. I struggled with it in my relationship with movement, with exercise. I had to work out a certain number of days a week for a certain amount of time, certain types of movement for, you know, different, different amounts of time or else I was a failure. And the problem with that is that if it's all or nothing, if it's not the all, and it very rarely is, Mm -hmm. it very rarely can be that or be that for any extended period of time, but it creates in us, you know, these very obsessive behaviors, very controlling behaviors. And when we don't meet, um, when we don't meet the specifics, you know, standard that we had set out for ourselves or for other people, yeah, it's, failure. And so there's a lot of guilt. There's a lot of shame and all of, all of those emotions that come up for us, you know, when we feel like we're falling short, when we feel like we're not enough. And it's also, there can be a lot of like fear, fear of what will happen to you. What will happen if you don't eat this specific way? If you don't um, work out this amount, if you don't, you know, whatever it is, reply to every single email Mm -hmm. within like an hour when that email comes into your inbox or whatever the, you know, expectation and pressure and limiting belief that you're putting onto yourself is. And 
Also, the problem with that is that there's no room for compassion in all or nothing thinking. There's no room for compassion or forgiveness for yourself or for other people. And for those of us who struggle with, you know, all or nothing thinking, we can become so focused on that all that we will do whatever it takes to make it happen, including, Mm -hmm. you know, at the expense of our relationships, at the expense of other things in our lives, because it's so important because we've placed so much pressure on ourselves about this thing. And also there is an underlying like deeper rooted value that's been attached to this. Like I am a good person if I do this and a bad person if I don't. Yeah. I think, so the thing that gets me is really the fear behind all of it. And it's like, if I don't do this, then I'm a failure. And it's so hard to, Like, maybe you know that this isn't the healthiest way of thinking, but the fear stops you in your tracks. You're like, I can't possibly imagine. Like, for me in my own situations, it's when I'm taking chances in my life, the fear of taking the chance and what could happen, like, really prevents me from doing it. Because in my head, I'm like, well, what if I fail? Or what if this doesn't go well? And um, what will people think? Like, all of these things that I don't want to be thinking, right? Like, I don't want to, I want to do things for me. And I don't want to care what other people think. And I don't, if I fail, then I fail. And I can always, you know, change course. But it's like, I still, for some reason, can't push myself over the edge sometimes because the fear is like kind of crippling. So like, what do you tell your clients when they're, they recognize like this does need to change, but I feel so stuck. Like, I don't know what to do. Totally. Well, I think it's really important to identify the fear that you're feeling and, and getting, you know, specific about what is it that you're really, what is it that you're really afraid is going to happen here? You know, if you Mm -hmm. took this next step or get really clear on, on what that fear is. And I mean, it's normal to feel fear. We all feel it. And it comes from a a place of self-preservation. Like we feel fear because we're trying to keep ourselves safe. And no matter how uncomfortable or unhappy we are, like in the present moment, we know that we are safe to be here, right? Like Mm -hmm. it's the status quo. We're surviving. We're doing fine. And so any change or shift, any growth, any transformation, like in your own personal journey is going to push that status quo. It's going to push what is, what is your normal? What is your comfort zone? Even if your comfort zone happens to be uncomfortable for, you know, any number of reasons. Mm -hmm. And so getting understanding first, like, Hey, fear is normal. I'm having this fear because of self-preservation and it's trying to keep me safe. So how can I identify the fear? And also how can I reframe this fear? It's like, Let's say I'm totally just making up a, an experience, but let's say you had um, a post that you really wanted to like post on social media. You really wanted to post this message on Instagram, but you were you don't post a lot on Instagram, and you were really afraid of what people might think or what they might say or how they might be judging you or whatever it might be. And so that fear is then holding you back from taking this step to share something that's really on your heart to mm-hmm. share. And so I think identifying like what the fear is, fear of judgment, fear of rejection from other people. Um, And then also talking through reframing that fear. So it's like, what else might also be true that would feel more empowering? Mm. It's like, well, what else could be true is that you would post that and you would, you know, you would reach someone who really needed to hear that message. 
or you would post that and you would have a deep sense of personal fulfillment because you followed your heart or you would post that. And yeah, some people would unfollow you, but good because you're excited to share this new message and you want people to be in your space who are excited to hear it. And if people aren't excited for it, then there's so many other places on the internet that they can go. And so it's like all of these other things might also be true and they would feel more empowering. And so we start to imagine we start to imagine what would be possible mm. um, if we took this next step forward and then saying like, based on what else might be true, like what is like, what's one small step I can take to kind of step into this gray space or this nice space in between where it isn't all or nothing. And where I'm kind of exploring like all of the other opportunities in life. And so reframing fears is huge. And then another thing that is, that's really powerful is, um, one of you guys said it earlier, you know, shifting from the from the fixed to the growth mindset, understanding that, you know, we're not, we are only fixed if we choose to be fixed. And by that, mm-hmm. I mean that there are things that you're good at and everything else you're not good at. And that is exactly what, like the, the cards that you've been dealt for your entire life and you can't learn anything new and you can't, you can't change and you can't transform and you can't evolve and you can't grow. And that's like a very fixed mindset. And we've all been told, you know, in our lifetime that we're good at certain things or we're naturals at certain things. And then we're not good at other things. And that we, you know, it's like, oh, you're good at this. You're not good at that. And for many of us, um, myself included, you know, I had a fixed mindset for a really long time. I thought there were certain things that I was capable of and other things that I wasn't. And it kept me feeling really stuck. And it keeps you it keeps you scared. It keeps you terrified to try new things. It keeps you scared to fail. It keeps you scared to push yourself and to grow. And when we shift from that into this growth mindset where every, you know, experience, every opportunity is a chance to learn a little bit more, a chance to start to develop a new skill, not a chance to be an expert in something right off the bat, but a chance to start to grow your skills in a new area and to learn and people with growth mindset, you know, are excited about Mm -hmm. learning. They're excited about figuring things out. They're excited about opportunities. And because that feels so exciting to them, the fear of failing, you know, becomes smaller because there's this brighter, there's this brighter light of what you will learn and how you will grow and what you'll discover. And that, you know, becomes brighter than the, than the fear of failure. Mm-hmm. You're like Buddha Simi. I love this. Well, I know. <laughs> Buddha Simi. <laughs> Buddha Simi. I will say that one thing that's really helped me, because now that it's been around, so I read Letting Go of Leo right after I read Big Magic that also, while I know it has a lot of, there's a lot of stuff around creativity in that book, there's also a lot of stuff around fear and perfectionism. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made this mental shift recently where I I think Elizabeth Gilbert said it once like that she, people wear perfectionism like a badge of honor. I've stopped yeah. that. I've stopped being like, I'm such a perfectionist. Mm-hmm. Like it's really great. And so the shift for me in focusing on perfectionism and this black and white mentality has been pretty recent. And I have a business coach that I work with who, who I love very much and she's um, very meditation focused. So it's helpful for me. But one thing that she's, and I, I heard this in what you said in different ways. One thing that she said in kind of getting rid of that all or nothing mentality is multiple things can be true. Mm -hmm. And I heard you say this when you said like having 
when you talked about the Instagram post and like that truth, like Nina, you can make a decision, like take a risk, take your, take your chance like you were talking about and have it be scary and have mm-hmm. it be new and have it be like maybe a little risky and uncomfortable, yeah. but it can also be successful and beautiful and yeah. helpful. And all of these things can be true. There's not one truth. There's multiple. And that has been a really big shift for me, this idea of multiple things being the right thing as someone who always looks for the totally. right I was going to say, I'm so glad that, like, we must be on the same same wavelength because when we both gasp at the same time, like, <laughs> that's what I was taking. That's what I took from her conversation just then was when you were explaining both sides. It's like, well, you're right. Like, these negative things could happen and these really, really positive things could happen. And like, which space do you want to live in? You know, and I think about that in my own life. Like, do I want to live in the possibility of the negative space or do I want to live in the possibility of the positive space? And if both can equally happen, then I might as well choose the more positive one. And like, it's just, I try to remind myself, it's just life. Like, it's just me being hard on myself. And of course, like maybe I have family members or other people close to me that, can give me hard feedback as well. But ultimately, like I'm, I can choose how I want to take all of that. And then I can choose my perspective on the success and the failure. And yeah, it's just reframing. It's reframing that fear, exactly what you said. And I think that's so powerful. Well, and even like what you guys are saying, you know, this idea of multiple things that can be true and multiple, basically like opportunities, multiple options. Mm -hmm. This idea that something could be just totally good or Mm -hmm. totally easy or totally positive. That is like this idea of all or nothing thinking. It's still putting this like context of perfect around a situation. And as we know, perfect doesn't exist. So yeah, like when you do something, there will be some negative things that happen. There will be some positive things that happen and you get to pick which of those you want to focus on Mm -hmm. and what you want to give meaning to in your own experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. And going off of the whole perfectionist thing, because I also see this a lot, that we feel like almost smarter because, and I guess this more goes for, I think, worrying. I think that's another thing that goes along with perfectionism is like you worry a lot because you want to keep everything under control. Yeah, like happy and safe and perfect. And I see that some people are are like, proud of that worry. It's like, I'm, I'm thinking of all the options and I'm prepared and I'm just being logical. And the more I start to live the way that you're talking about and like you were talking about Liz, the more I realize like, that's actually not, I don't think that's a better way to be, you know? I feel like it lends itself to inaction Mm -hmm. is what I've found. But I do know that you need to marry both, right? It's like you have Mm -hmm. to be able to be free and you have to trust. And it's a a lot of like learning to love yourself and, you know, move forward. But also, yes, you have to have a little bit of that logical piece because we can't just be like floating into the ethers like (laughs) all the time. It'll all work out. Yeah. So how do you help people kind of marry both? Like, yes, this side of you is good. You still need it, but we can maybe do less of it. Sure. Well, what I will say is that everybody, everybody is unique in that we all have our own set of personal values. And what I really try and help um, the women who I work with do and what I do in my own life is to help people identify like, what are your, what are your personal values? I call it like value-based living. It's like, what are your personal values? 
And where is your behavior, your thoughts, your actions, like in or out of alignment with those values? Mm -hmm. And if someone has certain values, but their behavior of overthinking and over worrying about, you know, everything like you shared is keeping them from being able to show up the way that they want to show up for those things that are most important to them, then it's really easy to identify like where that shift needs to happen. Likewise, it's like if someone was like you were saying, you know, just airy, like floating through mm-hmm floating through life, like that also might take them away from certain values. Mm. And so I love the question, like, is this going to help me be more or less present in my life? And I think that that's, a, it, it helps bring us back to like around our, you know, around our equilibrium, if we're feeling present with the things that are most important with our life. And it's a constant you know, it's a con- we're constantly pivoting. You know, it's again, it's not perfect. We're never going to be perfectly in alignment with that. But it's about getting getting closer. And when we feel far away, like bringing ourselves back home to that. And so, for me, I think that is that's really how I look at it. And to know that someone um, someone may have goals or dreams or values that lend themselves more to being like you were saying, kind of like floating through life. Mm -hmm. And someone might have goals, dreams, values, vision for their life that lends itself a little bit more to that like analytical side. And I think we all need, um, we all need a little bit of both, but we all need like different amounts of both. And we have to be able to honor that uniqueness. And so I recognize that some of my friends are living their lives or behaving in ways that work for them and wouldn't work for me. But that doesn't mean that like they're wrong or I'm wrong. Mm. It just means that we're both, we're both like figuring it out in our own lives. And I, I really love that as we move away from the all or nothing thinking that it creates space for us to really like live out our own personal values. And um, I think that's a really beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Like you said, everybody is different. That's what makes us so unique. And so it's almost when you were talking, I was like, oh, that's almost putting it into black and white when you're saying like, I'm either here in like la la land or I'm here in Mm -hmm. analytical land. And it's it's meshing the two. But I love that you said it could be a different... Um, I don't know what word you used, but like they don't have to be in the same balance. Like you can have more yep. of one in one season of your life and yes. you can have more of another in another season of your life. And so it's like in my own situation, maybe this season coming up is a little bit, I need to build that trust. But then as yep. I get into it, maybe I'm going to bring in that analytical side more so that I feel more comfortable, mm-hmm. you know, and just totally. like knowing when to blend the two. Which is why I feel like being flexible and being growth oriented are two super valuable skills to develop. Um, and for anyone listening who's like, I'm not flexible. I, (laughs) I mean, anybody who knows me would say I was probably like one of the most rigid, rigid, like human beings that they've ever met. So flexibility is a skill that anyone can learn. If I can do it, you can do it. I, I fully believe in that. Um, but I think flexibility and growth mindset are really powerful and really valuable because like you were saying, Nina, in different seasons, we need to tap into different parts of Mm -hmm. ourselves. And if we're super rigid, it makes it hard for us to show up for ourselves in the way that would be most supportive during that time. If we, if we are so 
um, if we're so fixed on our identity as being one way, it doesn't really leave room for us to move through like the seasons of life. Yeah, I so I'm thinking about some of your stories where you're talking about rigidity and I thought of the paper that she turned in that didn't go well and then you like <laughs> cried in a bathroom stall. Be <laughs> like that's something guys, I would have done. That was legitimately one of the it, this is so dramatic, but at the time, I mean the way I felt, that was like one of the worst days of my life. <laughs> Isn't it funny how like I have to sometimes tell myself that when something like that happens, like I don't know, something at work happens and it literally seems like the end of the world. (laughs) And then I think back to something that was the end of the world six months ago and how the world kept spinning and life kept going. And you're like, I'll probably get through this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm I'm thinking I'll make it. I feel like there's that quote where it's like, I don't, I'm probably going to botch it because I'm terrible at quotes, but where it says like, if you're not going to, if you're not going to still be thinking about it in five years, don't give it more than five minutes or something like that. You guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A realization I had that I said this on one of your Facebook live events that I had when I read the book was that I'm, I like perfectionism gets in my way of having fun. Like you would Mm, think that perfectionism shows up in places like I have to be perfect at work or working out or eating or money or whatever it is. But it also shows up in like an inability to relax Mm -hmm. because I know for myself and Zach, we'll find ourselves in situation, well, he'll find himself in a situation where I have this expectation of a beautiful movie, perfect date night Mm -hmm. that's like not real. And then when it doesn't happen, I get super stressed out about it. And then I usually ruin it somehow. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I I wanted to see if you could talk to our listeners a little bit about the exercise that I found really powerful, which was where you really stopped and just did whatever you wanted to do for two weeks, even Mm. if it sounded crazy or like it didn't have a purpose. And that Mm -hmm. was kind of how you were like, I don't think I like being a lawyer and these kale smoothies are the worst. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. (laughs) Describe that for us and kind of talk about what you learned from that and how we can put it into practice. Sure, totally. So this um, story came about at a time in my own life where I was incredibly, I was like, incredibly rigid, had a lot of rules, um, had zero fun, (laughs) um, and had a lot of meltdowns. So that's kind of just like to put it in context. That was the situation at the time. And I was working with my first health coach and, you know, she was just trying to ask me like what it was that I liked. And I didn't have an answer. I didn't know. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't, I literally couldn't tell her anything that I liked or that I enjoyed because all I knew um, was what I thought I should be doing. Mm-hmm. And I was really being ruled by sh- by the word should. Mm-hmm. And so um, she had me do an, an exercise over the course of two weeks, which is an awesome exercise for anyone who feels like they're, you know, just trapped in, in should land. But she had me do this exercise where for two weeks, I didn't do anything that I thought I should do. And instead, I just did things that I thought might be fun. And I just tried things out and experimented with things to see like, do I actually like this? Does this bring me pleasure? Is this fun? And it sounds so silly, but I mean, I really was like going into uncharted territory because I Mm -hmm. hadn't had fun in so long that I truly didn't know. And so basically anytime something came up that I thought I should do, like I would write it down and I would say, 
what do I think normal people do for fun instead of this? (laughs) And then I would try that because I didn't even have a lot of ideas about Mm. what would be fun because my mind just wasn't working like that. So I would look at my friends who seemed to have a lot of fun and then I would just do what it it sounded like they were doing. You know, Mm -hmm. I was like, well, people seem to like happy hour. I guess (laughs) I could like go get a drink with a friend. (laughs) And kind of navigated it in that way and just started to see like, what is it that I like? Is this fun? Like, is this enjoyable? And let myself go on a two-week experiment to see what are some things that I like and what are some things that I've been doing that I don't like. And it was really, it was really cool. It was really eye-opening. I did in fact find out that I'm not a fan of kale in smoothies. I think it like it reminds me of the smell of like sweaty feet. I just was Ugh. not digging it. <laughs> I know. So like I discovered that. Um I discovered that, you know, I at one point I had loved running, but I really didn't love it anymore. Mm-hmm. And it was no longer fun for me. It felt like I was just, you know, beating my body up. And so that that changed. I found out that I do, in fact, like happy hours. Mm-hmm. And I like, you know, sleeping in more than waking up at like 4.30 in the morning to go run and things like that. I just let myself, I just yeah. let myself experiment. And it can be intimidating to say to someone who is not having any fun and doing everything that they feel like they should be doing, like, just go have more fun. Because when you're in that space, you don't really know what fun is. So what I would say instead is, to experiment for a specific amount of time. Because if you're someone who struggles with all or nothing thinking, then anything you commit to, you feel like you're going to have to do for the rest of your life. And that feels overwhelming. (laughs) So a specific amount of time, um, whether it's a week or a weekend or two weeks or whatever it might be, where you're just like, you know what? I am going to experiment with no judgment, with no expectations and see what I actually enjoy. I'll try some new things. I will, you know, maybe hang out with new people. I'll move my body in new ways. I'll eat new foods and I'll just see if it feels good or if it doesn't. Mm -hmm. That's so, that's so good because you're right. A lot of times people are like, you know, and myself included, like, we'll just do what feels good. Like live your life in the area that feels good. Well, sometimes we're in places where we don't know what feels good anymore and taking Mm -hmm. the pressure off of yourself and just saying it's more of an experiment. And I think also allowing things to not feel good. Like you said, Mm -hmm. like I think you put a lot of pressure on yourself if you're like, I'm going to go seek out to like find what makes me happy. And then if things are not making you happy, then again, that feels like a failure. But when when you make it a game, like, okay, now I know this doesn't work. And now I know this doesn't work let me keep experimenting to see what does work. That That's just such a lighter way of finding out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I think the taking the judgment out of it is key. Taking the also, judgment. Also, <laughs> Nina, what? you know, I'm laughing because like, you know <laughs> how- like, you're lo- I'm like, what are you about to say to me right now? Every, Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> every time we get done recording or doing something or I can't do something, I'm like, I have to clean. Oh my gosh. Liz's, okay. <laughs> so- Liz, do I, when I said myself included, I feel like I've told you that before. Like, just find yeah. what feels, just do what feels good, you know? I know. And like Liz's answer is always, like if she doesn't have something scheduled, she's like, I need to clean or I need it's to do should. this. It's Yeah, it's like need or should. Because like, everything, interchangeable. everything, and someone who's a perfectionist who does lots of black and white thinking, everything has to have a purpose. If it's yeah. fun and doesn't fill a purpose, if it, 
it's fun, it should be feeling the purpose of being fun. Right. And it should yeah. be productive. And that's at why all you times. freak out when date night doesn't work well because you're like, this should be fun. Yeah. <laughs> this is supposed to yeah. be good times. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have two different personalities. I have one personality where I'm really flexible about things and I'm okay with going with the flow. But then in like very specific areas of my life, I'm the 100% complete opposite in a very specific situation I'm in right now in my life. And I like, and that's where I struggle is like, sometimes I know what it feels like to be over here, but when I'm stuck in the other one, it's just like, you. it's hard to see your way out. And just letting me, letting myself know that it's okay and that I can experiment and things like that just helps me feel better about finding the joy again. Totally. And I think, you know, two things, two things here. One is in that situation where you might feel a little stifled or trapped or stuck or whatever it might be to say like, how can I, how can I shift like one degree into growth mindset here? Mm -hmm. You know, like how can I, how can I just do a tiny little shift? And again, like everything's happening on a spectrum. So you don't have to go all the way from the right, all the way over to the left, but it's like, how can I just move one step from the right to the left? Mm -hmm. And how can I find one little, you know, one little speck of growth opportunity here that will move me forward a teeny tiny little bit? Oh, I love that. And be open to that. And then the other thing, and this is something that, you know, I share in the book, but it's like, what are we making certain experiences mean about us? What are, what mm. meaning are we giving to these experiences? And going back to the like random example of, you know, posting something on Instagram and, you know, worrying about people unfollowing you or not liking it or not engaging with it or whatever it is that, you know, the fears that can come up around that. It's like, what if you did post something and, and, you know, almost nobody liked it nobody commented and, you know, some of your followers on, you know, unfollowed you or whatever it might be. It's like, what are you making that mean about you? Yeah. And again, like asking that reframe question, which is like, what else that would feel more empowering could it mean? And it's so important to remember that we, we get to decide the personal meaning that we put onto our experiences and the stories that we tell us. And we are very much responsible for and in charge of the way that we speak to ourselves mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the things that we're saying to ourselves. And I, and I say that because I think it's empowering to remember that that is, that that is our choice. And I think choice is super empowering. I think that's great because the issues center around this wanting control. And it's like, yeah. you do actually have control yeah. in this way, just not in the way that you think you have it. You have it in the mm -hmm. way to craft the stories that yeah. you tell yourself and to believe the things you tell yourself or to know when they're false and know when they're, your doubts creeping in instead. Totally. Yes. You don't have control over if something's perfect or not because, mm -hmm. you know, basically nothing is perfect, right. but you do have, you, you are, you know, in control of the way that you show up for yourself and the way that you treat yourself and, and, you know, your willingness to, your willingness to be open to growth. Now I have one kind of related question. What do you do if you've had these, cause you kind of alluded to this earlier, um, where you have these tendencies 
and you project that maybe you're working on it like I am. I'm asking for friends. Like we are. Because this is all about, this is all about me. Um, <laughs> We've both been like beating around the bush, at bush asking very specific questions to ourselves. <laughs> but someone else has to face it too. Yeah. Where maybe you're working on this and you're aware of your perfectionist tendencies, but you tend to project that onto other people and expect perfection in other people. What mm. kind of stories can you tell yourself around grace and empathy that can shift away from moving those judgments maybe to yourself, to others? Sure. So for anyone who's projecting like unrealistic expectations onto the people in their lives and, you know, probably feeling a lot of disappointment and resentment when that person falls short, which of course they will, since it's an unrealistic expectation. Mm -hmm. um, anytime that there's judgment, I always say like the quickest way out of judgment is through curiosity and gratitude. So I think the more curious you can get with that person, questions that you can ask them, like openness to hearing what they're experiencing and what, you know, what they're feeling and also gratitude for maybe like the effort that they did put forth or the ways that they do show up for you um, can really help to diffuse some of that disappointment and resentment. And also to really, you know, again, with the gratitude, like really celebrate who they are and, and what you and what you love about that person. And when you are feeling, you know, calm and less emotionally charged, I think it's absolutely appropriate to have a conversation with someone if it's someone who you have a, you know, who you have a relationship with about expectations and what are appropriate expectations and to share like, hey, these are the expectations I was having for you in this situation. Like, is that, is that realistic? Hmm. Not realistic? Like what would be appropriate expectations to have and how can, how can we best communicate with each other and support each other to fulfill our duties or to show up for each other in the way that feels meaningful? And if, if I feel like you're, you're not following through with something that you shared with me that you would, like, how can I talk with you about that in a way that will feel productive rather than in a way that will feel um, really like judgmental and harsh and, you know, mean. I love that. That's very helpful mm -hmm. for yeah. the person who I was asking for, which was totally, totally. not myself. Well, <laughs> no, definitely not yourself. And just to share, like, not Kim and I have had to have a lot of conversations about how to love each other through disappointment. Mm -hmm. And we both disappoint each other and let each other down. You know, I, I wouldn't say like on a daily basis, but certainly on a regular basis, mm -hmm. you know, like where I will maybe like, you know, say something in a way that doesn't feel good to him or he won't do something that I like expected him to do or that I thought he would do. And it is never, it's never been helpful to like snap at the other person or to carry around that resentment and like let it build and build and build into like you have an explosion or for him to not put the dishes away and me to be, you know, to me to break down and be like, you never put the dishes away. You never clean up. You always leave your dishes in the sink, you know, like never and always like those kinds mm -hmm. of arguments. Yeah. And so we've had to had we've had to have a lot of conversations about like, hey, these are the things that feel frustrating for me. What would be realistic expectations in these situations? And if those expectations aren't being met, how can you hear me when I talk to you, like when I come to you in these situations and just really, really get clear on how to best communicate with each other? Because what Tim needs is different than what I need. So yes. if I was just talking to him in the way that I needed, like it wouldn't really land with him. Right. So 
Dude, like Liz was here yesterday. Was it Monday or yesterday? It's when Monday. me and Cody got in a fight in front of you. <laughs> it was Monday. Um, it's fun. And I was just like, hey guys, how's it going? She's like, I'm going to leave now. Well, and it's so true because you did not ask that question for yourself. Hint, hint, but you did. And then the right. same question was answered for me because it reminded me of what happened a couple of days ago. And it's so hard because like, for example... Cody will have certain expectations of me. And then when I don't meet them, um, he like will have a hard time like telling me what it is. And then he kind of just like reacts like you do. Like you never do this or you never do that. But then I, on the flip side, I'm like, I try and talk to him with like the reaction I would need. And it's completely opposite of what he needs. And so Mm -hmm. I'm trying to like talk him through the situation and it's not, it's not registering with him. And then for some reason, the way that he talks to me about it, I'm like not getting either. So then we're just like at these odds where I'm like, you're not talking to the way to me the way that I need. I'm not talking to you the way that you need. And we still are not meeting each other's expectations. And so have you ever like been in that situation where you're just like, literally, it's not connecting? Do you just take a break from it and come back? Like, what do you do? That used to happen to Tim and I um, a lot, actually. And a real catalyst to change was that we saw we saw a therapist and we joke that like we went into this therapist and and we joke that we were saying the same things to each other, but we were speaking in two different oh my languages. Gosh, exactly. 100% yes. what me and Cody are doing. Like we both yes. want the same thing. Like I'm just going to lay out this situation. Like he thought I was disrespecting his stuff because I, like I would bring in my drinks and I'm Nina and I like fumble things everywhere in like his office. And then, so he just like wants me to be more respectful. And then like, I want him to like speak to me in a more respect. So it all like revolved around respect for each other. Totally. But we were just like, not manifested differently. Manifested differently. Exactly. Yes. And I think that that's so common in relationships. Like you want to love each other. Well, you guys want the same things. You're trying to say the same things to each other, but you're speaking two different languages. And I think it's really normal to, you know, be in a friendship or a partnership or a marriage or whatever it is with someone who is speaking a different language than you, because we kind of learn our languages like over the course of our lives. And obviously most of us have different family dynamics or different communication styles or different experiences that we've had or different, you know, educational experiences or whatever it is. And so we're communicating like very differently. And when we saw the therapist, we joked that she was like our translator Mm -hmm. because she helped us learn how to speak the same language. Mm -hmm. And it really went back to, you know, having, having those conversations where it's like, Hey, this is what I'm trying to say to you. What are you hearing that I like, what are you hearing that I'm trying to say to you? Or what did you hear with what I just said? Because a lot of times you can say something and think you're saying it really clearly. And then the person will reflect back to you what they heard. And it's something very different. And that's because we're all carrying around our own insecurities and baggage. We've got all these, like, we got all this personal shit that we like bring into every situation. And so someone can say something and we can hear it very differently than they meant to communicate it to us. And so asking questions like, what did you hear me say is really valuable for sure. If something's feeling like super emotionally charged to just be like, Hey, let's just take a minute, take a few deep breaths. Let's reconvene in five minutes and like sit down and have this conversation. You know, like you can totally take a time out, a little breathing room. Um, I think after you've calmed down a little bit, asking someone, you know, asking your partner, like, how could I have said that differently for you? That would have helped you to hear what it was that I was trying to say. Mm-hmm. 
And that's really, really powerful. And then I think the last thing that Tim and I have really discovered like in our, in our marriage is that like, we have to assume the best in the other, not the worst. That's so true. That's in everything. That's what Zach always yes. says. We're on the same team. That's yeah. what he's always yes. me. We're on the same team. Like, stop trying to be on different teams yeah. when you're arguing with me. And I'm like, fine. Well, and that, and like, it really does go for everything. And every situation, like when there's a problem, it's because we're thinking the worst of the problem. And it's like, well, what if we just thought that things were, were going to work out in our favor? Like, what if we think that the people we're communicating with really do have the best intentions? And it totally switches the conversation or, you know, the conflict in your brain when you view it that way. Yes, totally. Basically... Simi is not just the imperfection coach. She's also your a relationship. <laughs> yeah, she's got your relationship covered. Just add that to your package that you, you're gonna, me and Liz are going to call you up. We're going to be like, all right, me and Cody and Zach and Liz are coming over for a relationship session. <laughs> we can all eat M&Ms and chat about our marriage. Yes, yes. Perfect. That sounds absolutely perfect. Well, I want to be mindful of your time. Mainly, yeah. I want to be mindful of your voice because I know you're about to go live in like less than an hour. Yeah. And I don't want you to be like, hi, I'm Simi. Um, oh I've been my talking God. on this podcast forever. Um, <laughs> so tell us about, obviously you have the book. Can you let, first of all, our listeners don't know where they can find it. And then also talk to us a little bit about some of the other things coming up. Um, I know you have the group on Facebook that's yeah. really, really just a very active group, a very um, encouraging and supportive group that you've created, as well as some different coaching programs that you introduced in that group. So tell us everything other than Simi's relationship book, which will be next. <laughs> yeah, uh, definitely next. Tell us everything that's in the pipeline for you and what you got going on. Sure. So Letting Go of Leo, you can get it on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com. Um, so that's the that's, those are the easiest places to grab that. And the Facebook community is called Beautifully Imperfect and it's a free Facebook community. And the whole... The whole idea for it came about after I published Letting Go of Leo and I was getting hundreds of messages from women sharing that they finally felt like they weren't alone mm -hmm. and they had just felt so isolated. And I was like, okay, we have got to create a space for all of us to come together so that we can be reminded on a regular basis that we are not in this alone and where we can just be ourselves and be authentic and be vulnerable and feel just loved and seen for who we truly are. And so that is the whole the whole premise behind the Beautifully Imperfect Facebook community. And so yes, if, if anyone's not in there, I would love to have you join us. And I'm so glad that you guys feel like it's a positive, supportive space because I I definitely feel that way. And it's so, it's just full of so many incredible mm -hmm. women and it, it it's a space that I love to go to feel to feel uplifted so it's been it's been really really neat and then in terms of um of coaching and and what I offer three things the first is a self study course called finally free program and it's a it's a virtual intuitive eating course and the second um, thing is my private six-month uh, coaching program where I work one-on-one -on -one with women. And it's very personalized, very um, customized to your personal goals and the things that you want to be working on in your life. And then the last thing, which will be um, coming out soon, I teased it a little bit in the Beautifully Imperfect 
a Facebook group, but I will be starting on April 9th, um, an eight-week group program, a small intimate group program. There will be eight to 12 women in there. And it is called Beautifully Imperfect, the eight-week group program. And it's actually based on the principles um, and the lessons that I share that I shared in Letting Go of Leo. So the things that the shifts um, and the powerful lessons that I learned in my own journey, I've taken all of those and created an eight-week um, group program that I'll do with a small group of women. Oh, that's amazing. That sounds amazing. It, and yeah, all I'm of so the things excited. are amazing. And yeah, and, and so many different ways for people to like hear your message. You know, it's like the Facebook group is a really easy way to do that. And yep. you can also do six-month coaching or you can also do a virtual program. And like now there's this intimate eight-week you know, program focusing on imperfection and the lessons in the book. And I just love that you make this so easy for women to really, that are struggling with this, to feel comfortable in sharing and start and starting to do the healing process and knowing that they're not alone. Because how many people are in the Facebook group now? Like 500. Yeah, it's like amazing. Yeah. It's so crazy. I, when I started, I, you know, the fe- the fears that we talked about earlier where it's like, I wonder if anybody will join. Like <laughs> yeah. I added my if mom. If anyone will like, show up to you come to the group? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Like all those, you know, all those, all those fears that pop up. But I think there's just a real, I think there's just a real desire in, in each and every one of us to feel like we're, you know, that we're loved for who we are yeah. and that we're enough as we are. And in everything that in everything that I do and everything that I put out, I just I really want to support women to feel like they are, you know, enough just as they are. Thank you so much for this conversation. I just love that it's always so positive. I always feel so uplifted at the end. And I can't wait for everybody to hear this in a few weeks. Thank you guys so much for having me on. It was such a treat and I can't wait to eat M&Ms with you guys at my house. Oh my gosh, it's going to be great. Happening. (laughs) All right, well, a huge thank you again to Simi for coming on for a second time. I know every single time I've ever talked to her or heard her in our Facebook Live group or any interaction, she always just has so much wisdom and insight and love that she shares with her listeners and the people that follow her. So thank you for coming on again. Um, To our listeners, please... Like I said, I've read uh, Letting Go of Leo twice now. It's a really, I don't want to say a quick read, but it's not like a huge book. So you can read it multiple times and get something out of it every time. Um, Also join the Facebook group that we talked about, Beautifully Imperfect. It's a wonderful, wonderful community. Like we talked about, there's lots of lives. Um, I love, I don't know if you do this, Nina. I wake up sometimes when she lives on Sunday and just get my coffee, sit with Simi. It's a great way to start my weekend. Is it always on Sunday morning? Not always, like, Wednesday night, yeah. but a lot of times it's on Sunday morning. I love that. Such a good, yeah, you're right. Such a good way to just start your day in a positive space. Exactly. So, as always, holla at us on social media. We're on Instagram at Wine and Chime Podcast. We're we also are. inactively on Facebook, but you should still go there anyway. <laughs> we will be active eventually. We will be. We just prefer Instagram, and that's very apparent. Also, your support of the podcast is very much appreciated. If you want to become a Patreon of ours, um, you can go to patreon.com slash wine and shine podcast and support the podcast there. We would very much appreciate it. All right. Catch you next week. See ya. See ya.